be really clear about the help you need because then you're pointing us in the right direction. And I think the best founders are amazing at doing that and being quite specific so they get the right help. The Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. From both sides of the pond, with Bulent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Transatlantic Business Podcast, Startup Sensations, with me, Bulent Osman, from just outside London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, on the northern California coast where it's foggy today. How disappointing for you. <laughs> but Shelley, today it's all about angel investing. So uh, if there are any founders out there who are looking to raise capital, or indeed any angel investors that are looking to place their hard-earned cash with some really exciting startup businesses, then this is the episode for you uh, because we've got a wonderful guest called Sarah Turner. And uh, you, uh, you've met Sarah before, haven't you, Shelley? Yes, Sarah uh, and I sort of in parallel, but not knowing that we were each doing this necessarily, ran Angel Investment uh, Networks. Hers, uh, she's been running for about 10 years, and it is focused on female founders and female investors, although it is a mixed audience of investors today. There are men participants in her organization. And it's a very, very impressive organization, extremely well run, uh, successful from a funding standpoint. And so a very, very interesting example of a network that is really forwarding the whole founder and angel investor ecosystem. And I'm pleased to say that Sarah Turner now joins us from sunny Brighton on the southern coast of England here in the UK. Uh, Sarah, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Enjoying the sunshine. So, Sarah, thanks so much for being here. I'm actually particularly excited uh, because you have spent, I think, about the last 10 years um, working on Angel Academy at the same time that I was uh, working uh, with Coretz, who sort of parallel universes, but trying to do many of the same things. But, you know, I'm curious um, if you would tell us a little bit about your background and what led you up to this phenomenal project that you've been working on. Um, so my background originally was in tech and I started working with startups from about the turn of the century. So this was the um, what I call the first dot-com boom, <laughs> followed by bust. Um, it was a very small community of founders back then, uh, VCs and angels. So everybody knew everybody. Um, and, you know, with the odd notable exception, it was mostly men. And probably fast forward to about 2012, I started doing a little bit of angel investing myself. And um, nothing had changed. It was still mostly men. I wanted to be part of a network. I wanted to learn from other people. I didn't find a network that felt right for me. Um, anyone that supported basically new angel investors. And I was hearing some quite alarming comments about women. And really, that was where the idea of uh, Angel Academy came from. You know, uh, I, I was hearing either on the one hand that 
women lacked confidence or ambition, or the ones that showed confidence and ambition were accused of being arrogant and entitled. And, you know, these descriptions were never applied to men. And then (laughs) on the investor side, we were risk averse. Uh, You know, another comment that was quite widely used was that women build small businesses, niche businesses. Um, And none of this resonated with me. So I just um, kind of rather arrogantly thought I could I could do better. I could build something that would work for women, uh, women like me, and make a difference. Obviously, starting something very new like that isn't easy. So I'm sure there were you know barriers that you hit in trying to implement this vision that you had. So what what were some of the things that happened that you were able to then overcome and, you know, that you learned from and embedded in the new model? Yes, there were plenty of challenges. Building something from scratch is always going to be tough. I think if you, uh, (laughs) if you kind of have a realistic view of how much it's going to take really at the beginning, you probably would never try. So (laughs) I rather naively launched myself into this. Um, what was interesting that was as soon as we stuck our head above the parapet and said that we were interested in investing in female founders, a lot of them came forward. And actually, deal flow has never been a challenge for us. There were plenty of really interesting, exciting female founded businesses out there. What was much more challenging was building the investor side. Um, you know, there were a small number of female investors, but you could literally count them on one hand back then. And they were typically either running funds or working on their next startup. But, you know, I was very lucky to to connect with the ones that did exist, found some experienced um, angels. And, you know, they were the core of the new network. And then, you know, once we had some experienced people in the room, um, people who were less experienced were much more kind of confident about coming forward. So we built it from there. So angel investing is very different as as you just alluded to from venture or you know running a fund or or something like that. So how did you find angel investors? That's you know back at a time when um as you said it wasn't really as widespread especially from a from a female standpoint. So um I, you know I started with my own network and and the women that I did know that were investing and kind of, you know, begged them to come along and uh, come to our events. And I was was very lucky that they did. Um, I also met some great men who were experienced angel investors. And none of this has ever been about keeping men out. It's just about bringing more women in. Of course. The men came and supported us too. And then, you know, it, it, it was a case of expanding my network. So, People in my network introduced me to other people. I'd go to lots of networking events and talk about what I was doing. And very occasionally, (laughs) I'd meet a woman who said, that sounds amazing. I'd love to come along. And they would. So it it was literally woman by woman, having lots of conversations, talking to lots of different people. And then also quite early on, we started building the education component. So I found that, you know, women are very confident about angel investing once they know what they're doing. That's true for everybody. Yeah, I think it's for everybody. But it feels to me that, you know, whereas men are a bit more willing to bluff it, women are very conscious of what they don't know. And especially (laughs) when it comes to 
money and investing their own personal or their family money. They see it as their family money. It could pay for a, a family holiday, for example. So, you know, the, the education bit has always been very important to us. And we, you know, we mentor new investors. We are always providing kind of sessions on different aspects of angel investing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Although you learn by doing, you learn by doing alongside kind of experienced people. So you don't make the mistakes that they did. And I've always been very keen that I don't want people to make the mistakes that I made. So, you know, that is where the value comes in being part of a network, particularly one with uh, quite extensive experience. You talked, Sarah, about about mistakes. And I just wonder um, if you'd like to share some of those mistakes that you feel you did make uh, in those earlier days uh, that others listening to the show can benefit from or or find interesting? I think we, we've all been, been there. You know, entrepreneurs are very charismatic people, very passionate about their businesses. Um, I've been, you know, too easily convinced in the past that this is something that could scale easily. And, um, you know, and of course, the founders believe that at the time, they're not criminals they believe it but actually you know the the due diligence bit of looking at what lies beneath the narrative is just so important and what I found is that you know as an individual it's very difficult to do that on your own because you need complementary expertise so this is where the network comes in so you know I've got kind of certain experiences and I'm very confident in those areas and in interrogating founders on those areas, but I'll work with other people to fill in the gaps in my knowledge. And, you know, collegiately, collectively, we'll have a much better picture of what's really going on in the business, in the market and potential for a business's success. But, you know, even that's not a crystal ball. We can't predict the the future, but we can avoid some obvious mistakes. We'll also be better advisors to that founders as well. You know, the better we know that business and understand their challenges, we can help them plug those gaps. I think it's quite different to venture in investors. And the, A, the process is different. There are many more people to convince. And sometimes the collective view could be somewhat soured by one or two individuals who perhaps don't fully understand what the founder is, is, is saying. So I'm interested, Sarah, how, how do you manage this yourself? Because at the end of the day, you need to get not just under the covers of the business model, but also about the tenacity and the values and the character of the people that you're investing in. How do you assess that? And how do you manage to get a collegiate view on that so that a majority of people will are willing to put their their cash forward. We spend quite a lot of time with the founder and the management team sort of getting to know the business. And it's not dissimilar from a due diligence process that um, an institutional investor would do. So, you know, we, we have a, a process that we teach people in our network. But I suppose the difference is that we allocate different aspects of it to different members of what we call the deal team, kind of doing the research and potentially interested in the opportunity. And I think this is how we kind of create value for the founder. So each investor's uh, investing a relatively small ticket size compared to what a fund would invest, but collectively we're putting in about the same amount, but we're conscious about trying to streamline the experience for the founder. So they're not having 10 separate conversations with small ticket investors. It's neat 
So we can go quite deep on the due diligence without making it a nightmare <laughs> process for the founders. And just in terms of personal qualities, what do you look for in a founder beyond the business model and the solution and the problem? I think it's all the things that you've mentioned. I think emotional intelligence is right up there for me. So when we first speak to founders, we're interested and we can quickly kind of weed out the ones that, you know, they, they treat us as individuals, they're respectful, they're not just thinking, oh, you know, this is a, a source of money for my business. These are people who are putting their hard-earned cash into into my business. They're going to support me along the way. So that attitude's got to be right. They need to be quite open about their business. So we coach our founders to you know, have a data room ready with all the documents they might be expected to to share with investors so that, you know, they come across as super organized. Also keep a track of all the questions that come up and their answers. So, a, you know, a Q&A document. And, you know, what lots of founders have said to us, you know, those are the questions that other people then went on to ask us. So it was useful to have had that forewarning. You know, we've been doing this for a long time. We know how tough the journey is. There are going to be roadblocks along the way. It's not just this smooth path to success, is it? It's very challenging. So people are going to stay the course, basically. And then the interrelationship between the founders as well. You know, we've seen what happens when the going gets tough. And if co-founders fall out, that can be a right old mess. So that's got to be kind of a good relationship, they work well together, and contracts that kind of outline what's going to happen if things do go, go wrong. And typically, what, what's the process you go through? And how long does it take? Um, so a lot of people ask how long and um, it's how long is a piece of string. We've actually, you know, we've turned around an investment decision in quite a short period of time, we can work quickly. But we're always co-investing with other people. So quite often, you know, they all look, we're prepared to put, commit this money, X number of angels involved. And then we have to either wait for the other investors or the legals or something like that. But, you know, we could probably from pitch to close do it in, in four weeks. But as I said, we're not normally the ones that are dragging it out. So do you work with other networks? Yeah, I think typically what happens at sort of pre-seed and seed is that there would be lots of different angels and funds involved. You very rarely see a single a single name on a cap table. Okay. And actually, that's an advantage because these are the people to go back to for the next round of money or to go back to for help. Yeah. So yes, we're regularly co-investing alongside some other angel networks, but also individual angels who might be writing big tickets, mm -hmm. some funds. We have quite a lot of um, EIS and SEIS funds in this country, as well as early stage VCs. So it is going to be a, you know, a bit of a smorgasbord. I know this is a hard question to answer in a way, but what's kind of the sweet spot for a company, a founder presenting to Angel Academy? Sort of how much is the ask, uh, roughly the valuation? So first involvement, it would normally be, you know, either a half a million or three quarters of a million. Uh, you know, everybody's making their own individual decisions. So there's no standard ticket size, but we hope to get well over 100K for each investment. 
And for the slightly later stage deals, people will feel comfortable writing bigger tickets and there might be more investors. So we have done a single investment that was about a million pounds in total, 40 people involved and some individuals really writing quite big checks, but that was more at the Series A stage. So for a founder that is, let's say, pre-seed, what's the minimum requirement you would expect from the business? What sort of traction would you, would you expect? At what stage do they need to get to before you, you, know, you and your colleagues will be serious about it? I mean, all the businesses that we're investing in are technology businesses. And I think first and foremost, we need to be excited about what they're doing. So we see a lot of businesses and we're looking for ones that are just a little bit different, stand out, so not doing what everybody else is doing. And we don't do a lot of investments in typically female spaces, so fashion, beauty, childcare, et cetera. It isn't really our sweet spot, but we're doing a lot of med tech and health tech and enterprise and fintech. We expect businesses to have, um, it's beyond an idea. So we want to see a minimum viable product and a bit of traction. So either paying customers, trial customers, some sort of letter of intent. If it's a kind of an IP intensive business and the research investment, the R&D investment is up front, then you have slightly different approaches, but you want to see them sort of moving in the right direction with regard to regulation and partnerships and, you know, maybe some grant funding, which is quite a common way for IP intensive businesses to get started here in the UK. You know, I remember when we chatted, you talked about you do uh, have a certain degree of international deal flow, predominantly UK sourced, but you're not going to draw a wall around that. So is it just kind of word of mouth? Uh, that you might get some deal flow from the US or are these companies locating into the UK or tell us a little bit about that. So so of the 48 businesses we've invested in, we've got one that was born in the US, um, but one of the founders has always lived and worked out of London. And so it qualified for us because angel investors in the UK are quite driven by the tax breaks. So there has to be a UK presence. We've got quite a lot of our businesses that are going the other way. They're expanding from the UK into the US and a couple of our founders have already moved to the US to spearhead their businesses. But I suppose we would be interested in US businesses that are kind of interested in expanding into the UK. So they come and they set up a presence here and one of the founders comes and lives here or somebody on the senior management team. So just something here that we can get our arms around and that they're operating in this market. Uh, we've got quite a few investors based in the US, so they they send us deal flow as well. And it, it, it is word of mouth and we've been doing it for a long time and it's networking and social media and all, all those things. So now, uh, especially post-COVID, you do your investor meetings online. So basically anybody anywhere within the time zone can participate, which is really super. So you can kind of build, and it sounds like you are, uh, an investor group that is a little more broad than just within sort of the geographical limits of where you're located. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, COVID, a challenging time, but it did make us a lot more agile. And, um, you know, we'd already been using Zoom in the business for some of our due diligence calls and some of our meetings, but it forced us to to put the pitch events online as well, which has meant we can do them more often. We can be much more responsive to founders fundraising timetables rather than, oh, our next in-person event is such and such because uh, organizing in-person events is a bit more of a process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah, when I was uh, raising capital for my business in the past, um, it wasn't just the cash I was after. Clearly that was what, what, you know, that was the primary objective. But actually at the same time, I was looking for a kind of network of people, maybe just be a small network of people that could help me as well in terms of their expertise, their experience that I could call upon either formally or informally to help me grow this business further. To, to what extent do you value the support network that you may or may not offer? And do you offer that support network? And, and how does that work in practice? Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. I think that's the thing about angels, isn't it, that they're investing their own money. It's quite close to their heart. Many of our members are kind of have built and exited businesses themselves. Others have got particular areas of expertise. Yeah, we absolutely encourage them to help the founders when they can. We don't insist on a board seat or, or any kind of formal roles with the business. It's more about finding the right matches when they exist rather than forcing anything. Another thing we coach founders about is report regularly and be really clear about the help you need because then you're pointing us in the right direction and you don't have to kind of fend off helpful phone calls, do you? You can just reach out to the people who can help with that particular example. And I think the best founders are amazing at doing that and asking for the help they need and being quite specific so they get the right help. It's a little easier for for women to ask for help in a professional way, of course, than sometimes it is for a man. It's just a kind of funny difference um, that I've observed anyway. I think one of the things that we found when we bring our female founders together in meetings is that, you know, they really value that community. I think other female, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough being a founder. It's lonely being a founder. You can't show any weakness at all, can you, with your team? You've got to be constantly on. But, you know, I, I think we can provide environments where they can kind of mutually support, you know, even if it's just to have a moan about something, mutually support each other. I mean, I, I, I totally get what you're saying about women are kind of find it easier to ask for help. It isn't seen as weakness, is it? But, you know, they're, they're fairly professional in their investor communications. It's, you know, do you know anybody at X organization or we're looking for this role? And it's kind of, you know, it's very business-like or I want some mentoring on something. And then once it's a private conversation, then they can <laughs> open their hearts, can't they? But we know, you know what I was, what I was thinking of and Belent, you'll remember an interview uh, with Vicky Farrar, founder of a, a med tech business that we spoke with in the first season. And one of the things she stressed as kind of tips for other founders was she said, ask for help. Now she didn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm collapsing. So, you know, tell me what to do, but she meant very proactively ask for connections, ask for uh, expert support, ask for these things. Don't be, don't feel 
that you have to be everything and do it all yourself. And I thought that was a very good message. And I, I think, you know, communication is vital. We've got one founder in our network and she always says, um, no surprises. She doesn't want anything to come as a surprise to investors, whether it's good news or bad. So everything's been trailed. You, you know what to expect. I think there's nothing worse than being asked for money out of the blue. You've had no, <laughs> no, no notes saying, oh, you know, things are a bit tough right now and this is what's coming up. It's just angel investors do want to help. We're not bound by the rules of our fund and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it, there's a certain latitude we've got. So um, the founders that we like <laughs> are more likely to get the support that they need. And with that in mind, what role does mentoring play in all this? We sometimes use that phrase in a more general sense, but do you have formalized mentoring programs where you could try to assign a qualified mentor to each of your founders or, or is it just quite informal? It's informal. A few years ago we did have we ran a mentoring program that was sponsored by an, you know another organization and i remember speaking to goldman sachs and their 10,000 startups about that and they said we don't even try and match mentors to startups because there's timing isn't there there's personality there's skill need but you know what we try and do is kind of create situations where people come together in person we do a lot online but we do things in person so people meet useful people and we kind of foster that serendipity it's not a perfect solution either but it's doable within our resources but also felt very clearly even 10 years ago that there was already a lot of entrepreneur education and mentoring and accelerator programs available but actually there there was none of that offered for angel investors. So our mentoring and education tends to be focused on the angel investors. And then, you know, once you're invested in a business, obviously you're building a relationship with a founder and we're helping people find each other that way. We like to uh, ask our guests uh, to give uh, tips to our listeners. So if you want to just start off with angel investors, so if I've got a little bit of cash to, to put forward, what, what tips would you offer a potential angel investor? I would say first off, if you, you know, you haven't done this before, f find a network and find a network that's experienced, that's got processes, that knows what it's doing. Set a budget, decide what you're going to invest, allow some money for follow-on opportunities because they will come around thick and fast. Make a bit of time for this to participate in the due diligence. You don't have to do it all yourself, but make a little bit of time for it. And, you know, I think time is the thing that women find the most challenging. But also enjoy the journey because not every journey is going to be successful, but you can learn a hell of a lot and, and have a great time on it and meet some fantastic people along the way. So, so that's really important. And for founders? So founders, I just think it's really important that they start by deciding what kind of business they're going to have, what kind of growth profile, what they want it to look like at the end, rather than just going in thinking, oh, I need VC money. Actually, do you need money? And what type of funding is right for you? Because, you know, VCs will have different exit aspirations from angels. And then there are all sorts of other 
ways of financing your business if you even need it. But um, think about that carefully. Don't just go for VC because you think it's there because actually a very small number of businesses are successful in getting VC and um, not necessarily successful as a result of getting the VC either. Um, if you don't have angel investors in your own personal network or people who can invest in your business, approach angel networks because it's a good way of speaking to many, several investors all at once. And, you know, they will help educate you as well about how it all works. Raising funding takes a long time. And I think you should always start raising before you actually need the money. So um, people are investing in something that's going well rather than something that's running out of money. And <laughs> the longer you can hold off and bootstrap your business before you go out to raise money, the more value you will have built, the uh, easier your conversations will be with investors and uh, the better your valuation. So make sure you're creating some value in your business first. Don't go to market with just an idea because that's unlikely to be successful. And in terms of a pitch, any mistakes that you see founders making time and time again that makes you cringe and you just wish that they didn't do that? What, what, are, what are the mistakes for founders to avoid when they're actually in front of people pitching? We're quite careful to not let people through until they're ready to pitch to the, the network. But, <laughs> you know, not being prepared, we invite people for an informal pitch session and, you know, we give quite a sort of detailed brief and they don't engage with that. Learn about the network that you're presenting to and what they expect. You can probably find other founders that have raised money from us who will spare a few minutes and give you some tips about do's and don'ts. You know, kind of, you need to be on top of your numbers, on top of the business, on top of your game. You know, you are, you are the expert in the business if you're pitching to us. So, you know, you really need to know your material and that, you know, that's what makes you confident and inspiring. Somebody knows what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, we can buy into that person. You've built a very impressive organization. So congratulations on that. And um, if we have people listening to this podcast who would like to engage either as a founder or as an investor, what are the steps that they need to take? How do they get in touch? We want to make it easy for any founder, whether they know anyone or not, to get in touch with us. So we ask everyone to apply via our website. So angelacademy.com, there's an application page for founders. We go into quite a lot of detail about, you know, what we do invest in and how the process works. So people should know what they're signing up to by the end of that. And we'll read every single application that comes in. It's not like they will end up in a black box that never gets looked at. And likewise for investors, uh, there's an investor page on the website too, or reach out to us via LinkedIn. We're quite active on LinkedIn as well. This has been a wonderful conversation today. I've, I've learned a lot, actually. So that's a good sign. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, Sarah. So again, congratulations for what you've built. And I'm sure people listening to this particular podcast can take a number of uh, interesting ideas away with them and hopefully get in touch with you uh, if it's relevant. So we appreciate your time. And thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, great to talk to you. Well, Shelley, it was a real pleasure meeting Sarah and having the discussion of all about angel investing 
uh, especially here in the UK as well. Well, I, I agree with you. First of all, it was a delight uh, chatting with her. And I guess what I particularly like, do you know how you like people who say what you already believe in. <laughs> so, you know, having run angel organizations before, a lot of what she said resonated with me. I think one important point that lots of times people don't want to focus on because it's an unemotional point is the benefit of good process and education and knowledge. And so by good process, I'm really talking about both from a founder's standpoint and an investor's standpoint, going through all of the elements of what is this business about? How is it going to make money? Or covering all of those points. And then from an investor standpoint, really doing the due diligence around the confirmation of all of those elements and doing it with other people so that you're getting input from different types of experts uh, around the table. So that that whole business of process and education and learning really resonated with me. Well, for me, it, it brought back memories of, of the time that I was uh, raising capital through an investor network similar to the one that Sarah runs. And um, what I was reminded of really was that it, it, it isn't all about the cash. So obviously, that is the primary focus and founders obviously get very anxious about the situation that, that, that they're in and they're looking to, to raise money quickly. And this process is very long. It takes, it takes a while. So it is important to start that process very early so you're not, you're not panicking towards the end. But it's not just about cash. It's also about a support network because the journey is hard. The journey is hard. But if you can tap into some good expertise, other people who may have done something similar to yourself uh, and will have different perspectives, and then you can ask for help, ask for support, maybe bounce off ideas with other people. Those things are incredibly valuable. So I would encourage any of our listeners who are looking to, to raise capital to have that in mind. It's not just about the cash. It's also about the people that you uh, get involved with and, and can they help you along the way uh, in a positive way. Well, and you know, running a, a successful, robust network like she does, there's critical mass on both sides. So you're not going to have good investors if you don't have good deal flow. And you're not going to have good deal flow if you don't have good investors. So there's really a balance there, which, you know, may not seem like it's very hard to do, but it is. And so she's dealing with the needs, et cetera, of founders and the needs, et cetera, of investors and bringing the two together in a way that is beneficial for both. So so it's a real balancing act. And I, I applaud her for, for how successful uh, she's been in this. And it's fun and it's interesting and this and that, but it's also a bit selfless. I mean, she's doing this for very good reasons. And uh, I applaud that also. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Get in touch with us. Email hello at startupsensations.com. And don't forget to follow the Startup Sensations podcast on our LinkedIn page and watch episode highlights on our YouTube channel. We love hearing your feedback and questions. So send us a message or a voice note to the WhatsApp number you'll find in the description. Well, that's it for another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast. Our thanks goes to Sarah, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.